Amen. Should we give Jason a round of applause as he comes to speak? Already, yeah, I know. Well, we give you it beforehand because it's not about how you perform, right? It's about um, what's already happened. So, Jason. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, uh, I just preached in the first service on, um, uh, you know, we don't obey God so that he'll love us. You know, God loves us, therefore we obey him. So I guess if you give me a round of applause first before I, I speak, then um, we're mirroring the way God does things. So anyway, I hope... Um, I hope that this is going to be okay. Uh, we're continuing our series on spheres and, um, you know, the different spheres of influence that make up society. And this week, because we allotted seven slots, if you like, seven Sundays to this series, we, Simon and I decided to combine education and health or healthcare. Um, so the danger for today, amongst other dangers that I'm going to talk about in a second, one of the dangers is that I possibly have tried to fit too much into this. So just bear with me, recognizing that putting these two subjects together is maybe uh, not the easiest task. But I hope there will be some common principles that we can, we can think about. Now, the, the other danger uh, with these two subjects um, that I want to talk about up front is that these are political subjects. And... Dealing with them brings us very close to the sort of the dangerous hidden reefs, okay? Our, our deeply held convictions and opinions that all of us hold on the subject of politics. Um, because at the present time, both healthcare and education, for the most part in Britain, come under government policy, control and funding. Um, and so... I'm, not going to, I'm going to try and steer clear of anything political today, but I want to get that out there just so that you will extend grace to me if I accidentally offend any of you. So these areas are under government control and policy, but for most of history, this was not the case. And it's only really in the last 80 to 100 years that both healthcare and education have moved from being something more or less supervised and carried out by individuals or communities or charities or churches to literally being departments of state. Now, you might think that bringing these things into government was a good thing, or you might think it was a bad thing. And that is the discussion I want to avoid today, okay? Um, that is just, that's a discussion that we might have downstream, a long way downstream, um, or not, as the case may be. But I don't want us to um, be triggered, in a sense, by these subjects um, that, in a way that might uh, hinder us from hearing what God might have to say about these things. Because what I want to do, as we tried to do the other day with economics, is to just maybe find out how education and healthcare sort of fit into the plan and purpose of God. So that is your trigger warning. Please do not throw rotten vegetables at me at least until I've finished, okay? Um, and, and again, yeah, if you find yourself in strong disagreement with what, anything I'm saying, let's talk about that later. Let's recognize also that good disagreement is, is good for all of us. Um, and it's a, it's a mark of personal growth and maturity. So what I want to do this morning is, first of all, try and give some biblical principles for understanding and thinking about each subject. And this will involve looking at the sort of the reason for the subject in terms of God's overall creative intent, looking at some maybe desired outcomes, 
Um, also considering who God might have delegated um, this area of responsibility to. I'll also look briefly at our current situation um, and some contrasting modern ideas about these subjects. And then hopefully at the end, we might get an opportunity to talk about, maybe in groups, some you know, responses about what we might do in future. So let's, we'll start with education. Education obviously goes back to the beginning of time, has a long history, and has been present in most cultures from the beginning. Um, the difference in the way that Christianity and Judaism have approached education is a little bit different to the way that other faith communities um, have developed education. So in ancient Hinduism, um, education was largely about learning esoteric rituals or spiritual secrets um, concerning the worship of the gods. In ancient Greece, education was possibly closer to what we would recognize as education today, but it was focused a lot on learning how to do rhetoric, epic poetry, philosophy, etc. And these emphases tended to have politics as the goal. These, these were subjects that served the goal of politics and they were taught to and mastered by the elites. So, and th look, this is, these are crass generalizations, I'll admit it, okay, and I'm happy to be corrected um, on, you know, if you have a different view of these things. But as I understand it, education in these contexts was for the few and not for the many. And it didn't have, as its goal, the development of the world or scientific endeavor in the service of God, the creator, and so, we would say that these approaches to education grew out of a different view of the universe or the world than the Bible gives us. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, they did have some technological breakthroughs. The, the Romans built great roads, but they didn't apply learning and technology to solving problems in the way that later happened in medieval Europe. So I was really interested to find out that the Greeks did in fact invent a steam engine. Who knew that? Um, they, they discovered that they could make a ball whiz round when it had water in it and it had a little angled pipe and you, you heated it, but they didn't know what to do with it. They discovered that steam could power things. And yet, let's fast forward to the, 18th, the early 18th century, as soon as steam engines became viable, they were put straight to use to pump water out of mine shafts. So, in a sense, the finding out of these things was not the issue, it was the overall framework within which education took place that was the important thing, the worldview framework. So education in a biblical perspective has got to start with God as the authority, as the sovereign, and the knowledge of God has really got to be the goal of education. So Adam and Eve, you know, you know me, I talk a lot about Adam and Eve, they're my favorite people almost. Um, they were given a scientific and developmental task to do, to name the animals, to classify and interpret the creation, to develop its economic, human, and animal potential. And learning, therefore, was to take place in the context of that bigger picture and that task, in the, idea, in, in the context of an ongoing project. Um, so learning was not an ivory tower exercise, it wasn't learning for the sake of learning. It wasn't intellectualism for sort of, uh, you know, for its own sake. 
it always took place in the context of exploring God's world, learning about God's world, learning about God, and ultimately knowing God personally. Now we see this in a command in Deuteronomy, in, in the, the famous statement called the Shema in, in Deuteronomy 6, where God, where God says through Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So education begins with the knowledge of God. And this is why everywhere the gospel goes in the world, literacy increases. Um, or, I should clarify that, we should say that wherever the gospel goes, literacy moves from being the pursuit and the preserve of elite groups in society to being something for everyone. Because God's will is for everyone to know him and to have access to his word and his revelation. So both John Wycliffe and William Tyndale had this as their motivation for translating the Bible into English. Wycliffe said of his Bible, this Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And Tyndale once said to a priest, if God spare my life, ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plough to know more of the scriptures than you do. And when Vrena and I were in Africa, we, we saw a similar kind of thing. You know, we worked with um, one group of people whose language was not written. And, and bits of writing were being done in that language, and it, mostly that was driven by Bible translators. But, but there was other stuff coming into that language. And, and these people had often been forced, if they did, could read and write, they'd been forced to learn to read and write Arabic, a language that was not their own language. Um, and so when stuff became available in their own language, they, weren't, they didn't appear to be that interested in, in, uh, in reading in their own language. But what happened when they became Christians was that many of them, and we saw this, many of them found a new motivation to learn to read and write. And, and we saw people often just teach themselves, people with no education at all, teaching themselves to read and write so that they could read the New Testament when it became available in their own language. So Psalm 78 repeats the command to teach children about God. Um, and in verses 5 to 8, it says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the work of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So you can see that there's this connection between teaching children and cultural flourishing. Um, and so in summary about education, I'd just like to say that the, the goal and purpose of education, as I understand it in God's plan, is first and foremost, knowing God and then secondly it's an understanding it's in order to understand God's world with the great commission in mind and finally 
um, as far as the education of children is concerned, it is also the, the first responsibility for teaching children, or let's just say the first responsibility for the education of children lies with parents. Now, whether parents delegate that responsibility to a school or something else, it doesn't matter. Even if parents delegate the education of their children to a school, it's still the, the parents are the ones who are still ultimately responsible for the content of what they're taught. Okay, so let's talk about healthcare. Now, with respect to healthcare, I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone and I'm not able to comment very knowledgeably. Um, but again, I hope that like, what I'm about to say might provoke discussion and perhaps um, allow us to help each other get a better understanding of this subject. Um, again, going back to the ancient world, I think there's a lot more evidence um, for medicine being developed in different cultures. We know that there are ancient Hindu texts about medicine and the Islamic world developed a lot of medical thought and practice. The Greeks and Romans did and possibly perhaps most important of all, you know, ancient Chinese medicine um, was also quite highly developed. So in, in sort of guessing what Christianity's contribution to that would have been, I came up with a couple of things. And I think firstly, the Bible and biblical faith honors the physical body. And this was not so in, in the Greek and Roman world where the body was denigrated. So, the, so a biblical outlook on healthcare is not gonna value the soul or spirit, whatever they are, by the way, more than the physical body. And it's not gonna see the physical body as secondary. It's gonna see human beings as a holistic whole. And the Bible also teaches us very clearly that we are to worship God with our whole, worship and serve God with our whole bodies. And of course, the culmination of our faith is gonna be the resurrection from the dead when we receive new bodies that will last forever. And if we look at Jesus's ministry, we can see that, the, that Christianity and the gospel has got healing like baked right into the cake because of the way that Jesus the way his healing miracles were bound up with his proclamation of the kingdom. And because he did it that way, we could say that healing is basic to the Christian faith. So the announcement of the kingdom of God, which is the, the renewal of all things, includes healing. It, it includes restoration of our bodies. Now, you know, I've been in a lot of churches in my life. I've been in churches where they or I've visited churches, shall I say, where they really emphasize, you know, praying for healing. And one of the problems with that is that not everybody gets healed, and this can cause a world of problems for those who don't get healed. Um, because they can be told, for example, they don't have enough faith, and it can end up as a kind of abuse. But even if not everybody gets healed, the gospel contains healing or it points to healing we, we could say that Jesus's healing miracles even if not every single one of us who needs healing gets healed they, they are a sign for us that the kingdom in its fullness is going to include physical res restoration of our bodies you know sickness and death are associated with the fall and the curse and so it makes sense um, that if the, that, that we either see physical healing in miracles or else the proclamation of the gospel leads to approaches to health care that bless people. And I think that historically that is one thing that the church has done. There has been this ethos of the care for the sick. 
even if the miraculous has not always happened. Another thing that biblical faith might impact um, is the way that we honor and elevate the poor and the sick. Um, people who are poor and sick may not always in the past have been viewed as of equal value or as having equal value with the healthy. And this is an area of our society, sadly, that we still have a lot of, area, we have a lot of room to grow in. There's, there's a long way for us to go to apply a, a fully biblical worldview of healing and healthcare too. But I think, you know, we are making progress. Um, so in summary about healthcare, I think we could say that because sickness and death are aspects of the fall of humanity, and because Jesus clearly announced a new order of creation in which sickness and death would be rolled back, healing and healthcare are areas of influence that Christians can and should invest in. Um, and with respect to who is ultimately responsible for our health, as far as possible, as healthy individuals, we should be responsible for our own health as much as possible. Uh, but we also have to recognize that there are many in our midst that are chronically sick and are suffering and are completely dependent on others. Um, and it is our duty as Christians to help them as much as possible. So looking for a moment at the humanistic or the contemporary approaches to education and healthcare, we might see a little bit of a different approach or a different kind of philosophy working itself out. Um, education, again, bear with me with this. Education, I think, in the modern world is held to be the means by which the bad bits of human nature or the bad bits of social life are sort of addressed and eliminated. And so this rests on the idea if someone's thinking is out of whack, this leads to bad outcomes. Um, and the reason for that might be that people lack awareness of good or they lack awareness of alternatives. So in a humanistic understanding of education, we don't have a sin problem, we have a lack of information problem. Bad things happen because people don't know enough or they don't know how to behave. So social problems are not seen as moral problems, they're seen as a lack of information. Um, and in terms of this, the reach and scope of education can be seen as total. And I think that one of the problems that we have in the education system in this country is that the, the schools are burdened with a task that they cannot fulfill because people want the effect of schooling to be completely total. They want education to do things that almost to change human nature. And I think this is a burden that education can't carry. And for those involved in education, um, particularly staff in schools, you know, they labor under an enormous burden um, of trying to fulfill the expectations of the culture. Um, and it's almost an impossible task. And I think that is because in some ways education is seen as, it's almost messianic. It's seen as kind of saving society, saving the child. Whereas education that serves the kingdom of God is going to allow us to be the people that God has created us to be. Now, with respect to healthcare, 
I think the main thing that I could think of in terms of these principles would be that a more biblical approach to healthcare would take into account the preventative dimension of healthcare just as much as the curative side of healthcare. So um, it's a pretty standard complaint against the NHS that, and, and I think even more so against the, America, the way the American healthcare system works, is that it only, it only treats the sickness that's right in front of it. And that often means, you know, expensive drugs and treatments and some treatments that are, you know, so expensive they're not, they're not even available. And so, um, and also that raises the question of the relationship between the health system and then the big companies that make drugs as well. Um, so all of this means that research into and the option of using alternative treatments um, can be limited, especially in a system where, um, you know, we've got a very centralized health system and um, it sort of runs by the rules of that system and doctors are often not free or able and probably don't even have the time personally to look into or to offer alternative treatments. So, in a sense, what I'm saying about healthcare is not, I'm not trying to address the NHS here. I'm trying to say that an approach to healthcare that we might all take would be to investigate more and different ways of um, just looking after ourselves and looking after each other that doesn't necessarily involve, um, that, it, that is more future oriented in that we don't wait for a problem to occur. We, we try to choose healthy options now before problems develop. So a, a second point about healthcare is that I think as we recover a renewed sense of God's plan and purpose for us, um, we'll also continue to value the fact that we are creatures made in God's image. Um, and I think one thing that we're slightly losing in our culture is that very high view of human life. Um, that I think is being lost a little bit and like it's been controversial in recent years where we've had you know, we have very high rates of abortion. Um, we appear as a culture to be paying, le to be placing less and less value on old age. Um, there have been controversies over things like the Liverpool Care Pathway and assisted dying. Um, a few generations ago, these, these things would have just been unthinkable. Um, and so I think it behooves us as Christians to really lay hold of how God has made us. He's made us as the pinnacle of his creation. Um, as, as, as his image to reflect his glory back to him. And this means that every human life is of inestimable value. Um, and like I said, our culture seems to be going a little bit in the direction of all the while the rhetoric is very strong that we value individual, individuality and diversity, but in reality, we're, we're losing the value of human life, I think. So I think we can say that while not denying the great contributions of other cultures and religion and historic faith contributions, Christianity has given us a certain approach to healthcare and education. And in education, this is the idea that education is for everybody with the goal that everybody would know God and be able to operate optimally in God's world. Um, and in healthcare, I found this more tricky, but I think what we can take away from this is that a biblical view of of human life will, will prize very highly the human body and prize every individual as made in the image of God, no matter what 
state of health or disability they're in. Um, and I'm not trying in any way to denigrate other religions or historic faith communities. Um, but in the end, the bottom line for us is that we have to serve God with our whole bodies. And, we're and we're, we are to recognize that the image of God in somebody is not diminished by sickness or disability. And that therefore, caring for the sick and each other is a key calling for us as Christians.